Hello, everybody, and welcome to the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today it's an episode you do not want to miss, and I think we want to take notes on this one. Lots of really good stuff here with the executive director of Open Squash, Cleve Miller, and I've been teasing this one for a while, and here it is, and uh, we had a great chat um, I think it was a few months ago, several months ago actually, when I reached out to, to Cleve when I'd noticed uh, what they were doing a bit on social media and asked uh, if they'd be interested in coming on to talk about it. And obviously uh, we had a great discussion then and this has uh, uh, come to fruition now. Uh, they've been sponsoring uh, the In Squash podcast now for a little bit and it's been great uh, partnering up with them. But uh, anyways, uh, this is a tremendous episode. It's all about growing the game, the vision of Open Squash. And I think uh, we can learn a lot uh, from it, everyone. Uh, in every uh, aspect of the game, whether that uh, means you're a player, you're a coach, you're a fan, uh, you're an owner, you're in management, whatever it is, uh, you're going to glean something from this. And uh, more than any episode uh, recently, I'd say uh, this is a must listen. Uh, the Open Squash vision and what they what they have achieved till now is both inspiring and it's accessible to, to all of us. So for all of us in the game of squash, I think we can definitely take something uh, from what uh, from what Cleve is doing and, and Dave Allen at, at uh, Open Squash, their entire team. Uh, they're really uh, doing so many good things in terms of growing the game there in New York City and branching out uh, across the United States and uh, hoping to take their vision uh, globally. And I know uh, just I'm going to have to listen back to this one myself because there's so much... Uh, food for thought here and also so many uh, tremendous ideas that we, we can all uh, take on board. So uh, take a good listen to this one. It's uh, myself along with Executive Director of Open Squash, Cleve Miller, here on the In Squash podcast, episode 238. Jerry. Sir, we did it. I, this is amazing. I can't believe it. <laughs> even even this evening, uh, it, it might it kind of looked like it might not happen, but we made. I it. feel this like overwhelming sense of accomplishment now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we made it to Zoom. We made it this far, so found found to bring out something nice here. It's great to have you uh, on the podcast, Cleve. And um, you know, I just want to say, uh, you know, Open Squash uh, has uh, sponsored. Uh, this podcast for the last uh, month or so and i really uh, really appreciate it and uh, just uh, uh, thanks so much for that we can get into uh, open squash now just but, but uh, before we do um, just a bit about uh, your backstory i know we talked uh, about a month or so ago and you told me a bit about your your pre-squash backstory which was really interesting i thought well, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's incredibly interesting or not, but it's um, it's long in the sense that I've gotten to squash fairly recently. Um, but uh, the, the, the funny thing was I, I really didn't play at all until I was in my mid-50s. Um, but when I was in my 20s, I'd read an article. I think it was in Esquire magazine or something. This would have been way back in like 1978 or 1984 or something like that. And uh, it was an article describing squash and it, it, a, a phrase stuck in my mind. And it said that uh, squash was the philosopher's racket sport. 
Uh-huh. And um, and that just always I, I just that not even having played squash, I just found that so intriguing. Uh, it stuck in my head. And about 20 years after that, um, I was living in Buenos Aires at the time. And I had a couple friends who were squash players and they invited me to play a couple times. And so we would go hit um, in, uh, in a club in Palermo in, in Buenos Aires. And uh uh, nobody had any idea whatsoever what we were doing. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, I, I, I thought I was playing racquetball. So I was like, hit it really hard and really yeah. low every single time. And um, so I don't count any of that. But then uh, when I moved to New York City, um, I moved to a neighborhood in Queens and was looking around for a, a health club to join and walked into a club called City View that has four amazing squash courts. And um, I had been intrigued about it. And the pro was there. It was Charlie Johnson, who is now the pro at the Yale Club here. Uh, a stalwart and foundation of squash in the New York city area. Great, great guy. And I said, Hey, can I take a lesson? And he's like, yes. And I said, can I take it right now? And he said, absolutely. And so we, um, we did a lesson and about 20 minutes in, I was like, this is absolutely the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> I, was just, like, oh, I <laughs> just immediately got hooked with the whole thing. Probably uh, Charlie's teaching prowess. I'm sure had had something to do with that. Um, and I just became uh, just really infatuated with just the beauty of the sport and and and, and the shot selection and, and the strategy and the tactics. Not that I knew anything about that as a as a D level beginner. Uh, but then what happened was I started hanging out at the club and discovered the squash community, <clears throat> and that was really the revelation for me. It's just for some reason. Um, People who love squash tend to be fascinating people and they're, they're, they're like, it's, there's a, there's a tangible sense of community with, with squash, I think. And, um, and I got in with a group of guys um, and uh, uh, one of them, Michael Malinowitz, um, elderly gentleman took me under his wing and mentored me on where to stand to return the serve and all the basics. Um, and Barat Didwania was captain of the three O team. And so he invited me to be on the team and I could barely hit the ball, you know, and just the generosity of these guys to spend time with, you know, of, of, you know, mid fifties guy who not the most athletic in the world, not, you know, world-class athlete. And, um, and it just felt, you know, it just, it's, 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 it's a great thing. And um, so I became enraptured uh, with squash um, really from that experience. And it kind of developed in an interesting way because um, Michael, the gentleman who was mentoring me at the time was also uh, also running league for New York squash, New York squash being the local governing body under us squash that runs all the leagues and tournaments in the greater New York city area. And he'd been running league for a while. So I think, you know, one, he wanted to nurture my enthusiasm, uh, but two, he's kind of thinking out, I can slide cleave in and retire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so he, um, he encouraged me to join New York squash. And uh, so I joined as a volunteer and was helping run league. And I became absolutely fascinated with, 
the administration and managerial and organizational challenges of the sport of squash as a, I don't know what the word is, as an industry, you know, as, um, as a thing. And uh, so um, I, uh, I, I dove deep into New York squash, um, uh, eventually ended up um, serving as, uh, as president for two terms. And um, that's what really solidified everything for me, just being able to work with the local New York squash community, all the local pros. We've got such an immense wealth of, of teaching talent here in the New York City area. Also, all the PSA pros that were up here. Um, you know, there's 900 people play league in New York City. We have over a thousand people play one of the four or five tournaments that we run every year. It's a big, robust, healthy uh, community, despite what you might read in some places. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. Uh, so basically, uh, uh, your exposure to squash through New York and then through the your administrative uh, role in New yeah. York squash sort of opened, I, I, I'm just guessing here, but I'm sure it's fairly accurate, opened your eyes to the, the issues that squash faces in terms of growth. And uh, I'm guessing that that's sort of uh, maybe your discussions with like-minded people in New York at the time uh, led to uh, where we are today with uh, open well, squash. Yeah, what the way it worked out was um, when I tend, when I uh, just, I'm kind of a, um, I, I tend to get really, really uh, serious about the things that I'm interested in. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and so um, at, at that stage, uh, I was actively uh, pursuing leaving my previous previous employment uh, to do a squash startup because I'm a startup guy from way back. I'm kind of a lifelong entrepreneur and I love starting new projects. And so I'm like, man, this is great. I love the people. This is a tremendous amount of fun. I've been doing my previous thing for a long time now. Um, and uh, so I was <clears throat> talking to all my, you know, all my colleagues and all in my network doing what you do if you're a startup guy, which is you go around and you throw ideas at people. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I was thinking of doing something with some outdoor courts. I was doing, I was thinking of doing something with some sort of kind of squash tourism, you know, bringing people up to New York city because we're an amazing tourist destination. So combining that um, and, uh, and everybody I talked to, uh, they all said the same thing. They said, you've got to talk to James and David. Okay. And this is James Green and David Ellen. Uh, they said they have an amazing squash project also. Uh, you guys should should get together. And so that's basically um, how I uh, how I met the founders of Open Squash. And um, we uh, we we, you know, had a couple conversations and it was clear that, you know, everybody was on the on the same page and that it, it, it would be a fantastic merger of interests and energy. And um, and to my great fortune, they invited me to 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 join the team. So that would have been in uh march 1999 it would have we we were midway through construction on the bryant park organization when i joined uh open squash okay just to just to clarify you're the executive director of open squash right so yeah. i i don't yeah. think i made that clear in the beginning so yeah, I'm the in terms of in terms of the organization operationally, I'm the executive director, and then the the board of directors uh, that provides the governance for the organization consists of uh, the two founders, James Green and David Allen, and 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 myself on the board as well. And then we've got just an unbelievable team of people here at Bryant Park that are. Mm -hmm. 
putting things together and setting down the foundations for what we hope to be future growth. And um, I can talk about more, you know, I'll talk more about everybody as we go along and as the topics come up, but we've just got an outstanding group of individuals here that are working, working hard uh, to, to, to get squash where we all know it needs to be. So. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, just to sort of jumping off point then, uh, how how did an open squash sort of man? I mean, you you I guess you came in as it had all, it had already started uh, as something. Uh, but <laughs> I, what, yeah. when did the how did it manifest itself to your knowledge and and when did the idea uh, come about pre uh, pre cleave? Yeah, well, now it was I I was late to the game. <laughs> these okay. guys these guys had been working on this for for you know. I think at that point it'd been eight years or so. So right. it's just, it's a fascinating story and it's an absolutely like uh, a, it, it's a typical squash story because it has all the elements of, 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 of what makes squash great. Um, so yeah. there was uh, there was a club in um, uh, downtown Manhattan, um, moreover, I think East village uh, and, or I'm sorry, West village uh, called the printing house. Right. And I've heard of the it, printing yeah. house, I, you've probably heard of it. It was like it's a, a classic example of a just wonderful, thriving, homogenous, high energy, you know, wonderful squash group. I think I've and, heard of it through the doubles uh, squash, hardball doubles scene. I'm not sure if they have hardball. I, you know, I, I don't know. This was this was the printing house was around. This would have been five years before I had even picked up a racket with Charlie. Okay. And City View. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of I, I haven't gotten to the to the to the the, the parchment of historical um, background on printing house yet. But the right. um, but it just it just it had it, what it had was that gorgeous sort of um, sense of community that 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 squash clubs can have. And, um, you know, they had a, a great group of players. They um, had a lively social scene. They had amazingly high energy round robins. Everybody played everybody. Then they would go off after and have a, uh, have a couple beverages at a, a local bar called the Blind Tiger. And it was just everything you want. You want you know, a squash community to be. Perfect. And, uh, Everybody loved it. And then um, a major big box gym corporation bought the printing house and decided to close the courts. Okay, So it's like, right. okay. it's, it's the, it's the typical story in, in, in Manhattan. And that had happened time and time again, uh, primarily because of just the real estate cost in, 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 in Manhattan. It's just so much more lucrative uh, to turn things into condos or to put 25 spin cycles in a squash court instead of two squash players. And so if you're running a business, it's, it's really not necessarily a hard decision to look at it uh, if you're looking at it from a pure financial perspective. Now, I, I will make a case anytime that you can do incredibly well with squash from a financial perspective. We don't need to worry about that with open squash because we're a nonprofit. But regardless, the company that bought the printing house decided to close it down. And so a group of guys sort 
sort of got together and they sort of planted their flag in the ground and they were like, this will not stand. And so they put together, they put together some business plans and they talked with the, with the, uh, the corporate management and yeah, they, you know, worked really, and just to no avail, there was no stopping, uh, closing those courts. And so they decided, look, we'll just make our own. You know, we'll we'll create our own our own squash facility, and um, it was a group of guys and 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 a group of men and women, and 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 it was you know people drifted in and out of the core group as the years went by, and they they it's it's hard to find real estate in New York City that has uh, the ceiling height that we need for squash courts, and and also have the load bearing beams be wide enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so they're where you know they're looking and they're looking and people are drifting in and out and gradually over the years what happened that was most important is it morphed from the original conception of another commercial club not that it was necessarily destined to be a money maker the 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 the, the reasoning was to was to have that community it was a community-based organization, not a not one for for financial results. Um, and uh, and over the years, they realized that that was the essence of what they were building, and so um, they made the decision to go ahead and formally make it a nonprofit. Um, all along, the 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 sort of impetus of 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 making recreating this community um, was to open up access to the sport and to make it more affordable, and so those two. Uh, goals fit beautifully into a nonprofit mission. And so by the time I got involved, which was 2019, so they've been, this had been maybe eight years in the running. Um, they uh, not only did they have a lease signed and construction started for a beautiful facility in, in Midtown, uh, but they've, they'd, they'd arrived at what our mission is, which is a nonprofit that opens up access to squash, makes it affordable for everybody. You know, we like to call it a, you know, it's a, it's an experiment in democratization of squash. Um, this may sound less than amazing to many of our listeners who are outside the United States, um, because, uh, you know, the United States, um, the squash uh, um Squash as a sport in the States for a lot of historical reasons, you know, has um, has led to a situation where it has in some respects become a sport that for a range of reasons is associated with people of wealth, with people of, um, you know, who have had an uh, elite level education. Uh, they may work on Wall Street. They may go to a private club. Um, there's costs involved. Um, there's vetting involved. There's hoops to jump through. And uh, and so um, James and 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 David uh, and the group that 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 sort of um, were carrying along with this project recognized that that was really one of the issues that had to be solved, and so they made that front and center uh, the, of, of of what the mission of Open Squash is: is make it affordable for everybody. That's a that's really uh, basically what it is, isn't it? And and the vision what it, you mentioned uh, basically came from that printing house uh, experience and it, and it remains the same uh, today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it remains the same. Um, it's nice to see it in action. Um, I think that uh, there's been some differences from the very, very beginning to now. Uh, I think the biggest difference, and I was even involved in the, at the very tail end of this, 
The biggest difference is we were not really sure it was going to work. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we were like hoping that it was one of those, you know, if you build it, will they come? Start type throwing of, things against so, the wall and see if they stick, right? Yeah, yeah. And also just, um, you know, with the cost of real estate in, in, in you know, in Midtown Manhattan and, and um, uh, you know, the cost to put courts in and everything, you know, it's, um, it's a dice roll. You know, you, you know, we're, you know, the, 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 a major financial investment was made and nobody was really sure if we were going to be able to recreate that. And um, so the good news is, um, you know, I wasn't around during the printing house days, but to, in most of the respects that we've been talking about uh, the open squash, Bryant park uh, community squash uh, uh, center has just a wonderful thriving community of incredibly great people. And we're all having a blast playing squash. It's just one of those, you know, it's like a non-squats, non-stop squash party in a lot of respects, you know, early in the morning, midday evenings, weekends, you know, the courts are always full. Um, Got a great group. Um, you know, we've got round robins running. We've got, you know, I think we represent about 30% of the entire New York squash league, just because we have so many league teams, um, you know, uh, and, uh, it's just, it's a great group and, 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 and we're loving it. Um, other differences between then, um, I, I think maybe that we've, that, that we've learned a lot about how to best, reach our goal of managing um, affordability and access. And the way that we do that at Open Squash is we uh, uh, we set aside um, a fair proportion of our budget to go to subsidize our membership. So about 25% of our membership has some sort of economic subsidy. Right. So if you so it may be for adult players, um, we subsidize membership. Um, so we have people who are uh, paying as little as forty dollars a month, which for Midtown Manhattan uh, is just pretty outlandish. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> outlandish yeah. where I am. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it's it's incredibly important for us. And for the juniors, not only do we give membership subsidies, but we also subsidize our junior academy. So we have a very, very high level, high quality, um, you know, junior training program here. We've got 140 kids enrolled. We sold out. Um, we put sold out on the website about a week ago on our junior program, which is great. Uh-huh. Um, and we also subsidize juniors there. So um, one thing to keep in mind as a nonprofit is we have a little bit of a different profile in the sense that we do offer high quality, premium quality, premium price services that are at the same level as other squash services in our market in New York City. Right. So we do charge the same prices that other squash facilities charge. Um, What we do differently is because there's so many people in New York City who can afford it without even thinking. You know, um, New York so that, City. That, that, that basically enables you to to do what you do, right? In in a lot of ways, right? I, I'm, I'm just guessing. Uh, you know, some people might be out there. What what the hell is a like a nonprofit, and how do how do they make it work, right? Um, so I'm just guessing that like that that's a big reason why you're able to to make it work. Yeah. 
Jerry, you put your you put your finger right on the key right there. So I guess you've done this a couple times before. <laughs> you know, you, you know the game. No, that's that's exactly it. And so because we have um, we have market rate uh, lessons and clinics and membership, um, the margins from 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 those activities are what subsidizes all the all the income based discounts that we uh, extend for membership and um, and for the kids programming, um, which may well be a partial sliding scale um, income based discount. We do it based on income level. We also have a large number of kids who are on a full scholarship. Um, and what we've done is really interesting with our scholarship kids. Um, you know, I mean, I know you're you, you're familiar with, and they may have even been on the show, but uh, the work that um, that uh, uh, the Squash and Education Alliance is doing, and specifically Street Squash, um, George Polsky, and 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 also. Um, uh, city squash parents uh, that they're doing in New York City. Um, they're f- absolutely amazing organizations, and they're leaders in a lot of respects uh, yeah. with the nonprofit um, uh, squash movement. But they have um, their model is they have a very specific demographic that they're going after. Uh, and it's 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 amazing what they do to get those kids up, kids from an underprivileged background to get them up and get them into college. And um, and what we're doing is uh, it's a different model. Um, uh, I'm not it's not better or worse. It's just a different model. And that is instead of having a specific demographic we're working with, what we want to do is have a what, what you could call a big tent approach. Um, we want people from all walks of life, from every demographic to be on the court together. And so we have high, uh, high quality um, market based pricing for uh, a lot of our activities that um, uh, um, that people can take advantage of. We've got all our sliding scale discounts. We've got our our full scholarships. And the point is, we want everybody in the same club. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, the idea is to, to 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 not cater to just one group, but to have everybody together, and that that does a lot of powerful things. Some people kind of joke, and they with me, they're like, "Cleve, you seem so serious about squash." <laughs> it's a game, buddy. What's going on here? And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, but um, it's an amazing game in a lot of respects, uh, and it does some things that are are really and Jerry, this is back." your point of, of of the nonprofit sort of do good element to it um you know there's a couple things about it that are really really special and that provide that that spark that really makes the community succeed so well um, and one of them is just that you know high intensity exercise is a miracle for for the human condition yeah um you know it it is uh, I got to tell you a quick little story. Um, feel free to interrupt me, Jerry. No, no, keep going. This go is on, great. This on. is great stuff. No, I'm, I'm going to park right here and listen. <laughs> the, um, so this is this is a this is a COVID story because we've been open for eight weeks when COVID when COVID closed all of New York City down. Anyway, that's a whole nother topic. But um, uh, we um, we were very very serious and energetic about getting our COVID safety protocols up and going. And I think that all things considered, we we had a decent level of success with keeping everybody safe. And um, we have a couple doctors that are that are members here, and a couple of them were impressed with the um, safety features that we put in. And so long story short, there was a study done by the NYU 
uh, Langone Center for Epidemiology and Public Health here in New York City on uh, safety protocols to keep health centers open. And they, they, they did a study on how we did it. And I was talking with the head of the research program there, uh, the head of the department, and, and I was saying, it was on a Zoom call, and I was saying something about how it was important during these very difficult COVID times to keep a community going and keep people on court doing things. And, and she stopped me and she like kind of got this look on her face. Um, and she was like, leave. It's not important. It is absolutely critical. He said, you have, she said, you have no idea what you guys are doing. Um, she said, um, what squash does is it's just, it's what you're in the business of providing people with endorphins. And she said, I'm a, I'm a neurobiologist in my background. Endorphins are the chemicals that power human thriving. She went on this gorgeous, I wish I'd recorded it like this Zoom call because um, she said it so wonderfully. Um, but basically she says it's endorphins that, 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 that make humans thrive. They make us better employees or better bosses or better wives or or husbands or sons or daughters or fathers or or mothers and they're just they're really what makes things great and what you guys are doing is providing that for everybody in a time where everybody needs it and um now of course you can say the same about other high intensity sports it's not only only squash that does that um but the second piece on uh and this all goes back to your question of what was different um, back then, as opposed to as we've as we've developed this, and now that we're almost three years in on the whole thing, is um, uh, there was a study done recently, um, in a sociological study, uh, and it was written up. It got a fair amount of press attention because it was a very big study. Um, I think a couple people sent it to me, uh, sent the New York Times article that wrote about it. And the, the gist of the study was that they wanted to identify what the major variables were. What were the factors in social mobility? What is it in a child's background that allows them to surpass the demographic or the circumstances that they were born into? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, disparity in the universes that we're thrust our that we we find ourselves thrown into uh, uh, everywhere. And so the question is how can how can how can we liberate ourselves from that? And the end point of the study. Uh, resolved that the, the the number one single variable for a kid is the amount of time they had spent as a child with people from other demographics. Right. Yeah. And so um, this was certainly not planned on our part, but you could not have asked for a better validation of our big tent philosophy which was have everybody in from every demographic all on the same court playing together on the same league team in the same box league on the ladder, um, having friendly recreational games, you know, um, grabbing a bite after the game in the cafe, you name it. But to have every group of New York City that reflects the demographic, the the, the range of demographies that, that New York City has, um, it's a great thing. And now we know why. <laughs> because. Somebody studied it and figured it out. So it went from being an instinct. Well, for you guys to be able to put that into practice, uh, I, I mean, you don't really see much of that out there uh, in in many sports these days where you have uh, so many different demographics in, in one place and 
and trying to achieve the same goal. Uh, yeah, no, that's, it's, 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 it's great. And, um, it's, uh, I think um, I think it's one of the things that makes uh, makes what we're doing special, and um, it brings something to to the community here that I think everybody uh, everybody values. And so um, and so that's that's what Open Squash is all about. We're a nonprofit focused on affordability, focused on access to everybody. Um, our, you know, our goal is to is our our goal was to see if the first one would work, um, and. Uh, uh, the good news is the first one has worked. We're we're we've got 500 members now. Um, I'm uh, I'm 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 at uh, almost a hundred members per court, which is a rule of thumb is pretty high up there. I've got some scheduling uh, options that help us do load balancing. So the courts aren't too crowded, um, but uh, we have full membership. I've got a one month wait list. Yeah. Um, so I've got people lined up waiting to get in and, um, uh, based on proof of concept, um, it worked the first one, uh, we're opening up our second community squash center in downtown New York, uh, in about 10 months. So we're in the middle of construction right now. So we're opening up eight courts in, um, on Pearl street in the financial district, a couple blocks South of wall street. Um, going to be fantastic. 14th floor of a typical financial district high rise. You open the, the elevator doors and the last thing you expect to see are a bunch of squash courts in there. Um, well, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. We've got a glass show court we're putting in so we can host, uh, we can host some PSA, uh, tournaments. Um, we can get some PSA players into as a, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to practice on a glass court. The open squash, uh, trainings, open squash, yeah, uh, sponsored players exactly. training facility. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I was just uh, wondering, uh, just in terms of the, the nonprofit, uh, the business model that you guys put in yeah. place, uh, obviously, uh, you know, you, you're, you're seeing some success. Is this something that, uh, you know, other major cities that should be or could be uh, uh, looking into maybe into adopting or is this something that might uh, seem to work pretty well in New York City or maybe a city well, like Boston or yeah, I think obviously in the States, you know, the States is, it's the Northeast that's very squash centric and U.S. squash is doing a great job and of, of sort of pushing squash out into, you know, the rest of the country. Um, but, you know, uh, we're not there yet. You know, it's um, making great progress. So, you know, I don't think we're going to have the density of players uh, in other cities. On the other hand, the cost structure would be phenomenally <laughs> less less daunting. So um, I think probably it's a wash there uh, in terms of, you know, people who already play and then the cost issue. Um, but one of the things that I find uh, really um, uh, hopeful, and this, 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 this makes me optimistic is, is we've had pretty good success uh, turning brand new players into, into, into squash fanatics. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah ambassadors well it's like it's you know people have fun squash is just fun and um people move to new york city and they they don't know people and and they need a community they need to make friends 
and everybody wants to be fit. Everybody is you know, more and more aware that for all the reasons that we talked about before, not only the endorphins, but also just physically and in terms of energy, you know, um, fitness is, is, is an important component and squash pulls all three of those together. You know, um, yeah. it's a blast. You've got, you meet people, you make friends, uh, develop friendships and, and you get in great shape. And um, so I think there's a lot of intrinsic value that everybody, no matter what city they're in, um, uh, is 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 going to benefit from. And our goal, um, and there's actually two answers to this question. You know, goal number one is we need to be the best at taking a non-player and turning them into a, a, a lifelong squash player. And um, I've got our, it's one of our major goals for this year. Our, our fiscal year started September 1st. So like any organization, um, you know, we've got that. Uh, I think, I think um, who was it on your show? It might've been Eduardo Alvarez was talking about like the sort of um, um, white knuckle, uh, white board level of entrepreneurial uh, um, urgency. Uh, yeah. And boy, do we have that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a startup guy from way back. So that's, that's, that's the water I swim in. Um, and one of our whiteboard missions for this year is, is our internal code name is the science of beginners. Okay. And so, you know, we, we, we know the funnel, you know, and we can measure every step in the funnel from bringing them in to, Hey, my friend plays squash. I heard it's a lot of fun. I'd like to give it a try. Never hit a ball before getting them on the court in their introductory lesson, getting them on court with the right ball, explaining to them how to do it right. Um, getting them with people at the same level that they feel comfortable with um, getting on court with having programmed activities that they can lead into and gradually helping them become a, 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 a squash fanatic. And we need to measure like any other business organization, you 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 improve what you measure. And we need to measure every single step in this funnel. And we need to be absolutely obsessed with doing the right things to show people how amazing squash is. Because then this is one of the big challenges. And a lot of people talk about this with regard to pickleball. Um, it does have a learning curve. It's not immediately obvious when you're a beginner and you're jumping on court with a cold double dot ball, that squash is a blast. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so we've got to change all the things that we need to change to make it obvious that this is going to be as much fun as you've ever had in your life. It's just incredible. And so there's lots of ways to do that. And, and, and it has to do with the instructor. It has to do with um, teacher training. My background is in education before squash. I, I, I ran a software startup that had a, did an educational platform um, and partnered with uh, Cambridge University. I live in the UK. Uh, and so I've been focused on, on education for most of my professional life. And it's, it's an education challenge. Mm -hmm. It's just, you've got to program the educational components to, to show people what, what, you know, to show people how great it is. So the science of beginners is, is, um, uh, uh, is one big part of that. And so we're, we're confident that we can, that we can crack that nut and we're confident we can show people and get them in the door the first time. And once we've got them in the door, we'll turn them into squash players. And not only that, we'll turn them into squash players who want to turn their friends into squash players. And that's how we grow the sport. That's how we get the sport to the size that it needs to be. Now, the second part of your question, I'm just going to say, uh, sorry, yeah. 
Absolutely. The, I right. mean, you basically, I mean, what you're saying is you've got to have your ducks lined up, right? You've got to have the coach there. You've got to have the facility there. You've got to have the right uh, balls. You've got to have the right racket. You've got to have the, the right people to, you know, the right type of members at the club, you, uh, that kind of thing in order to, to, to make this thing, uh, thing yeah. work. Uh, yeah, um, your Charlie Johnson yeah. anecdote uh, basically yeah. Uh, summed it up. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I mean, you just summed it up really nicely, also. And I think w- another way to sum it up, from our perspective, uh, and this is a word that you'll, my team will laugh because I use it all the time when it comes to you know the business aspect of what we're doing, um, and that is, and that is intentionality. You know, we need to have intentionality with everything we're doing as as uh, as a nonprofit community squash center. And, you know, if our intention is to grow the sport, we need to have intentionality at every single layer and every level and every step we're taking to think through what's happening um, and to think through why it's happening and what we need to do and think critically about it and and, and reflect on how things went and try it again next time. In education, there's a great little... um, a great little, uh, uh, so, well, you're an educator. I'm going to tell you this. Right, yeah. I, run, I run an academic success no, no. program. So. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Jerry, just for our, for our listeners out there, Jerry and I, my previous life, I did a lot of what Jerry does right now. We were laughing about that the first time we talked. Um, but it's just, Jerry, to a certain extent, it's just action research. Mm, yeah, yeah, just action research for education. And when I say to look at it from a business perspective, people tend to think, oh, business dollars you know, or pounds <laughs> yeah. early or whatever. And I'm not looking at it like that. I'm looking at it. Business has got to be the wrong word from an organizational and structural and, and planning perspective. If our goal is to turn a non-player into a player, what, 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 what do, what are the resources we need to have? What are the tools we need to have? What are the processes that need to be in place? Who needs to do it? How do we need to train those people? How do we follow up? There's a million different decisions to make to turn that goal into, into a success. And it's that way with any organization, whether it's a for-profit or nonprofit, and we need to bring that level of discipline and that level of intentionality and that level of energy and focus and urgency to growing the sport of squash. I was just wondering, like Cleve just came to mind, like uh, in terms of the nonprofit mentality, I mean, uh, maybe I'm, I'm way off with this, but uh, uh, it just seems to me like having a nonprofit mentality is the type of mentality you need to have to grow the game. I mean, if you're just going, if you're, if you're going in there to, to make, uh, just make some bucks, uh, then you, you probably don't have the vision for growing the game uh, the way it should. Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. And I, I have thought about that. Um, and I think the answer to your question is, I think you could do it with a for-profit mentality, uh, but it would be, it's much easier when there is not a profit incentive, because that is one of the variables that we have to worry less about. So right. when we're looking at channeling, focusing everything to make that beginner player a lifelong squash fanatic and and get them hooked to the game and love for the game and get them a community of people around them. One variable we don't have to worry about so much is if we're making money or not. Right. Now, of course, we need to think about our margins. 
because again, our our basic our basic model is that the margins on our our market priced products and services are what subsidizes the economic uh, support that we give everybody to fulfill our nonprofit mission. So there is there is a component there that needs to be taken into account. But you're absolutely right. Boy, does it make things easier when you're not always having to justify what you're doing compared to what the return on investment would be for a different type of business in the same facility. Hmm. Because, of course, you're going to want to put 40 yoga mats into a squash court and charge $25 a head times 40 people. Right. Yeah, the, um, the, the Eduardo, uh, Eduardo uh, we really talked at length when, when he came on uh, about that kind of stuff because he's in it. Uh, I think on the other side, he, he's in it on the business uh, uh, on the business side of things and in a profit margin yeah. perspective. Yeah. So. I, 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 it's a great question. I, I, I think it can definitely be done and all, all, yeah. all credit to Eduardo and what he's doing. Um, uh, I, I'm in a very specific situation here because things are a little bit artificial in Midtown Manhattan for a number of reasons. Just because, I mean, we're in one of the most expensive real estate locations in the world. And we're in a prime commercial real estate. You know, we're on the fifth floor on, you know, 25 West 39th Street. It's, like, <laughs> you know, it's a big rent bill. <laughs> so yeah. I do have to keep that paid. Um, but uh, but aside from that, we don't have any shareholders that are clamoring for a return on investment that's superior to, you know, to, to, to something else. Um, but back, back to your question about other communities and other cities, you know, that that is indeed our long term plan. And, and we kind of look at our plan in three in three in three stages. The first stage was just proof of concept. And, you know, when I first joined the organization, we would sit around and we would be trying to game out scenarios. What if we only get 180 members? What are we going to do? You know, and so we really didn't know if it was going to come, if it was going to come off. And um, fortunately, you know, um, and despite the difficult COVID timing, uh, the proof of concept is, has, has proven to be successful. Um, and so uh, the basic premise is working. Um, and our, so, so stage one, check mark, cross it off a list. We did it. Awesome. And, and now stage two, which of course, stage two is the one keeping me up at night. Now stage two is replicate the same thing, but for 800 members on Pearl street. And then we're, you know, we can have, uh, we're having either nine or 10 courts on the new Brooklyn location that we've signed a lease for. Um, so basically, you know, we're looking at another almost 2000 members that open squash needs to come up with in the next 24 months. And, you know, there's this little, you know, I think everybody who, um, you know, runs an organization has a little alter ego on their shoulder that's whispering in their ear. It's just luck. You'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, we need we need that to feed the beast, right? <laughs> That's what keeps us going with this, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so, so we have plans in place, buddy. We're um we're gonna knock it out of the park. Uh, well, but it sounds, um, it sounds but, really exciting. I mean, it's, when you put it, it in those terms, it, it really does yeah. sound exciting. No, it is. It is. And the business challenge is different because now, I mean, basically, you know, a five court squash organization, you know, you could run in your head with an Excel sheet. But once you get up into multi location organizations that have that. Many, you know, 2,000 members, and I'm going to need to have, you know, I'll need to 
have, you know, 20 front desk people spread across three facilities. You know, I need to hire, you know, probably 15 to 20 very, very high level squash teaching professionals in the next 24 months. And boy, does that keep me up at night as well. I mean, they're out there. It's just, we've got to find them and and attract them. Um, So what we need to do for this next step, the next step is is to have the three be successful. That's step two. So we need to put into place the business foundations. And and there's a certain level of bureaucracy you have to have. You have to have standard operating procedures. You have to have onboarding. You have to have offboarding. You've You've got to have policy manuals. You've got to have all that stuff that's a foundation for having a larger organization. And then once step two is complete, then we move on. And I promise you, I'm answering a question you asked about 15 minutes ago, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. It's just taking me a long time. Building it, building we will, we, <laughs> Step yeah. three is we will go to other communities. Really? And what we've done here with, with Open Squash in New York City is we've really created a plug and play model. Now, one of the things, and you can probably guess this from the way I've been talking about it, is we have a very sophisticated technology stack. Um, so, you know, I've got, uh, uh, I've got, you know, a very robust, um, you know, customer relationship management tool. Uh, we use Salesforce. I've connected it with an API to Club Locker, which is the U.S. squash uh, booking and reservation system um, that's connected to Stripe, which is the payment gateway, which is connected to Gusto, which is our HR platform, which is connected to, right. you know, keep me. There's like we've <laughs> we have so many different platforms in our stack. It's ridiculous. I've given up trying to worry about it. But the point is, it all works really well. And you can just take the whole thing and pick it up and you can plop it down on our second Pearl Street location. It makes life a lot easier. It's already done. All we have to do is just have people start to sign up. So same thing with our Brooklyn location. And so we have in a way, um, I don't want to, there are connotations with this word that I want to be careful with, but there's a franchising element here. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to. Well, that's be- <laughs> that's because of the, the, the connotations that we both yeah. know. But there's an element there where we have the model. We've created a Is that system. that a common thing with, non- with uh, nonprofits, uh, in the nonprofit franchises? You, you don't really hear much about that. Jerry, I don't. That's a great question. I don't know. I don't come from a non-squash. I'm, I'm sorry, a nonprofit background. Many times I wish sure, I had. Sure, it is. A, yeah. um, but I, it's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe I should look it up. I wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel if it's already been done for me. Um, and so, what we're looking to do is just is to find local squash communities, and I don't want to jump the gun, and we're not even going to think about this for a couple of years, uh, but we have two two cities that we're talking to already um, and uh, uh, that have a group of guys and a group of, of group of squash players who want to, uh, they want an open squash in their town. They see what we're doing. They like what we're doing. And because we're a nonprofit, all their very generous donations that are going to help make that happen are tax deductible for them. And, um, and they're going to fund the financial um, startup capital and we'll put in all the systems that we've invested in and put into place. And um, we'll, we'll replicate this. And uh, our goal, um, our goal is to put 50 or a hundred of these in um, as long as we can continue to, uh, to, to execute and to scale and to continue to uh, put into place the business systems that are imperative for having, you know, a large organization and not just, you know, not just one squash club. 
So, yeah, that's uh, uh, this is really exciting stuff, Cleve. And uh, I mean, we could sit here and talk uh, talk all night. I, I think, or at least I could. Uh, I know you could. <laughs> uh, You're starting to get to know me well. <laughs> this has been really uh, really enjoyable. Um, now you you guys have an impressive list of uh, PSA pros that are that that you sponsor. Ali, world number one, Ali Farag, uh, Gina Kennedy, whom I just uh, just had on my last episode. Fan, really enjoyed chatting with her, and uh, I think who uh, Nate, uh, sorry, uh, Haley Mendez, um, maybe Nathan Lake. I'm not uh, if Nathan's involved as Nathan, well. Nathan Nathan's definitely involved. Neck deep, buddy. That's good. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, just just in terms of, of the teaching pros that you have on board, uh, uh, and I think once more, sort of one maybe when this episode gets out, and then once the word spreads about open squash a, a bit around the pro scene, I mean, who's not going to want to join? Who who wouldn't want to be connected with what you guys do? I mean, uh, what what is it? What sort of what what do they? What role do they play? Uh, the, the the pros that you have on board. Well, it's 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 funny. It's um. Uh, my absolute first reaction to that question is that in, in, for me personally, the role they played is not the role that I had foreseen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. And what I, I, I should have anticipated this just because of all that I've said about the squash community and how amazing it is. But at a personal level, those, you know, we work. So with Ali and Gina, Victor Cruant, uh, Haley and Nathan, um, Personally, they just, they inspire me in so many respects. Um, and uh, I remember the first time I, I talked to, I talked to Gina at length on a, on a, on a WhatsApp call, I was kind of thinking, okay, Cleve, you know, you're old enough to be your granddad, you know, give her some words of wisdom and inspiration on open squash. And about 15 minutes in, I realized that she was doing nothing but inspiring and motivating me. Yeah. <laughs> That's that Harvard <laughs> education, right? <laughs> <laughs> she totally, and just the, just, you know, they're just such amazing, such an amazing group of people um, mm-hmm. that are just so focused and, uh, and they're, you know, um, they're, they're all the, this way, but they do every everything they do at hundred percent. They do it hundred um, percent, whether it's squash or not, and uh, and you can see the results in squash. But what you don't always see is just what great contributors are they are to the the human condition in general. Just because they're just awesome, awesome people, yeah. um, and it's just it's an honor to work with them. And um, so uh, so the short answer is they inspire me and us uh, to, to to greater heights. Um, but what you know what we really want to do is have them inspire everybody in, in open squash because you know they're an example of of of, of what you do uh, of what happens when you have that degree of excellence in everything you do and um i think it's 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 a great inspiration for for all of us and um you know to have them be part of our of our of our mission uh to have them speak up about the nonprofit. um uh, goals that we have and the affordability and the access uh, is important to get the word out. Um, it's, you know, they come here, uh, you know, um, when they're in New York City, they're training here with us. We do some um, clinics or some, um, we do, may do some fundraising. We may do some, just come on and hit with the kids uh, just to have them here hanging out and and also doing their own training. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just great to have that group. And one of the, one of the things that we also want to 
leverage with this um, is that, uh, you know, we need to we need to help our recreational players see the beauty in watching professional squash. Yeah, because we still don't have the viewership that squash deserves to have, despite the amazing stuff that squash TV is doing. And I can't hand it to them enough at every level. Yeah. Um, it's just such a wonderful experience um, being able to pop on that, uh, the streaming um, live, you know, and watch the tournaments and just be able to log in. It's just great. Yeah, they do um, a great job with the production there, don't they? With, you know, with the limited budget, I think that they have, they do. A, it's an, an amazing job with what they it's, do. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. And, and one of the things we want to do with our, with our group of, uh, of PSA partners is help bring that to our recreational players. Cause that's another key component in how we grow the game. Mm. You know, we need, to, I mean, if you take the, the very, very opposite on the continuum would be, you know um, would be, you know, American, American football, what we call football over here in the States um, where Everybody, three, you know, 200 million people watch it every Sunday. Nobody plays. Yeah. You know, it's all viewers and no players. And in squash, it's the opposite. We have way, way more players than we really have viewers. And so one of our goals as an organization is to bring bring that the, 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 the you know, the beauty and uh, the exhilaration of professional squash played at that level is to is to bring it to everybody. And part of doing that is to have is to make them accessible and have them here. So when we talk about making squash accessible, one of the things we want to do is make the best squash players in the world accessible to our community. Um, and they do that by being here and by jumping on zoom calls with our, with our membership, um, by playing with them, we've got, uh, you know, when, you know, Allie and Victor, um, uh, were, uh, were here a couple, a uh, couple weeks ago and, you know, they played with about 20 of our 20 or 30 of our members and it was just a blast and they have such immense goodwill and just positive energy that it's just, it's a walking testimony to how great squash is and how great squash can be. And we want to bring that to our membership and we want to explore how we can, you know, whether it's through squash viewing parties in our cafe where, Hey, you know, Victor's in the final and, you know, um, come watch and have a beer on us. And uh, whether it's that or, you know, having Team Alley and Team Gina and Team Haley and Team Nathan um, among our squash community who, who root for them um, and just the social media aspect of it. It's just bringing that quality of professional player together with your new recreational player um, is just a cool thing. And uh, uh, so well, the proof it's is in the pudding, too. I mean, as soon as you start watching uh, pro squash, uh, you know, squash TV, you're you're not going to want to stop watching. And I mean, the last few events have been uh, on both the women's and the men's side have been absolutely amazing. The squash, uh, the drama, you know, there's there's always something uh, exciting to watch. No, Victor's Victor's final victory in nuns. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't script that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I know if you wrote it out ahead of time, like amazing dr- drama, you know, yeah. it couldn't have and been. Even even know. prior to that, even in Qatar, yeah. when he got to the final and, and played uh, Mohammed El Sherbagi and yeah. uh, just the, the whole thing, how he got there and uh, even Sherbagi, how he got there. Uh, just uh, some really good stuff. 
there. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more in terms of, uh, you know, growing the game through, you know, exposure to squash TV. It, it brought a few ideas to my mind. I'm, I'm going to reach out to uh, squash TV and maybe try to get some sort of uh, free memberships to, you know, contests and stuff to just to spread it, uh, spread a- it out. Ab- somehow. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Jerry, let's 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 you and I follow up with each other on this because we need to make that happen. We all need to be rowing in the same direction. And that would be outstandingly beneficial to do that. Um, and a big part of it is the educational part. Again, yeah. I, I, I keep wanting to go back to the fact that there is a learning curve with squash. You can't jump on a squash court and have a blast in the first 15 minutes the way you can with pickleball. So, you know, there's there's an education component here and it is the same with squash TV. So when you just first jump on, it is not immediately obvious that this is absolutely incredible. But if you teach a little bit as to what you're seeing and what's going on and why they did that and why did they hit six shots in a row that's they're just so tight on the on the left wall. You know, why are they doing that? Why is that actually incredible? And everyone going, oh, my gosh, instead of thinking, oh, that's boring. Yeah. You know, because it is amazing. And uh-huh. um, so 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 there's an educational component to that that I think, you know, I mean, I'm an educator. Yeah, I've had a lot of different jobs in my life and a lot of different companies, but their education has always been the common theme. And so I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And I think that, you know, putting that component in what we're doing is, you know, one of the several things that we need to do to reach the goals with squash that I think every single person who comes on your podcast, we all have the same goal yeah. is to make squash as amazing as we know it is for as many people as, as, as it can be. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, I was just going to say, I don't know if you've seen the, the world squash officiating website, but in terms of uh, learning about the game, I and saw growing, that there, I would highly recommend in terms of you know, teaching squash that every everybody do the level one and level two uh officiating it's, it's more like you know the rules basically how to yeah you know what the rules of the game are that's level zero and then level one yeah. what lets and strokes are if you do those two things then you're going to i mean your knowledge of the game will you know you'll you'll be there you'll be ready to play and you'll you'll have a, a strong awareness of what you're watching uh, on squash tv jerry i um um, I'm not really good at a whole lot of things, but one of the things I'm good at is grabbing good ideas from other people. So I'm going to grab this idea from you and I'm going to, I'm going to do a, 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 a refing program here at open squash now. And next time, if you invite me back on the show, I promise to tell you how it worked out Perfect. because that's absolutely something we need to do and make it fun and wrap yeah. it into the, a fun aspect of it. I really felt that I, I, I just for, for, for shits and giggles, I, I guess I can swear on my own podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just, the, I did the, the, the certification a while ago, uh, yeah. but I revisited it again and uh, it was fun just to go through the, you know, see how much, see how well I know uh, my lets and my strokes and the rules. And it was really good. Actually I got 23 out of 25 on the level one, I got all yeah. the video calls right. The only I got two, I made two mistakes. One was how how long do they get between games? How how much? Okay. I forget what I said. I got it wrong. Like I, yeah. well, they I could have looked it up on Google, right? And yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I I really think uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of value to something like that. But um, 
you know, I've been great with your time, Cleve. I just have one uh, one more question. Yeah. And I know it's not a question. I'd like to, you just tell us about it. Uh, just at the beginning of the month, you guys had a tremendous, I think it was a tremendous uh, fundraiser there in New York City for the junior, for junior squash oh, yeah, yeah, development. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, just in terms of how that played out, uh, what was what did it involve and uh, how did it all uh, play out in the end? Oh, it was, it was just, it was a just wonderful, wonderful squash evening. You know, it was one of those squash nights where everything came together and everybody had a blast and it was just, there was good squash camaraderie and, and, and goodwill and just enthusiasm, you know, amongst everybody, everybody that was here. Um, but it was, uh, it was our, our annual fundraiser it was for the junior scholarship. Um, the Junior Scholarship Fund, which um, focuses on the uh, economic subsidies we give our junior players and our scholarships that we give our our our, our Hudson Guild players. Hudson Guild is the partner that we have for our scholarship program. They're an after-school support program um, that has been around for over a hundred years. Uh, wonderful, wonderful institution. And so we've partnered with them to um, uh, to work with their kids and to bust them over to our place and, and have them get on court. And they got on court with Allie and Victor for this fundraiser as well. But basically the fundraising evening for the Junior Scholarship Fund, um, Allie and Victor were there um, and uh, uh, basically we did, they played with our juniors, they played with the Hudson Guild kids, got them on court with the kids. And then we did a fundraising thing that we love to do that's just a tremendous amount of fun. Um, and we call it Play the Pro. And what we do is we ask uh, for volunteers among our community to who wants to get on court, they want to get on court for one game to 11 with Allie or Victor or whoever we got here. Um, and they volunteer to do that. And it's guaranteed to be the, about the most fun they've ever had on a court um, for yeah. a whole number of reasons. And then I set them up with like a GoFundMe page and they raise money amongst their community. So they, they get their, they get their fundraising page up and going, we help and support. And I kind of help them with the social media and everything. And, but our, our, our members themselves do the fundraising for this. And it's just always an outstanding success and they work hard and they do great. And they bring a lot of money in that allows kids to get on court in a way they wouldn't be otherwise. And you know, sometimes I think, my gosh, they've been they've been calling everybody they know for the last, you know, six weeks raising money for us. I can't tell you how appreciative I am. And now they're going to get only seven minutes on court with Allie or Victor. But inevitably, when they come off court with Allie or Victor, they have the look on their face of that's the most fun I've ever had on a squash court. <laughs> <laughs> because really Allie, our the our p and, and all the you know miguel rodriguez did it last year with us as well you know the the psa pros are so amazing at knowing how to make it incredibly fun oh yeah yeah they know just where to hit the ball where you can just barely get it back and they know that yeah they know that they, I, I love watching them put you in advantageous situations yes. knowing that, that you know they're going to be able to get the ball back and and then some right anyway it's just and they, and they have such and this is this goes back to your first question about what the you know the RPSA 
partners and how they inspire us. They inspire us those evenings that they're here because they've mm-hmm. just got such wonderful squash spirit. They're so positive. They're so committed to sharing their, you know, what they can give. They're so committed to helping us um, raise money for our scholarship kids and to raise money for our big tent philosophy. Um, it's just, it's a very, very positive evening. Um, and so it was just a lot of fun. Rob Dinnerman was there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Rob, Rob. We always invite Rob. Rob is awesome. Yeah. Um, last year, Rob wrote a wonderful review of it that really captured the evening. The guy is uh, an incredible writer. I've been following um, Rob since uh, way back. Well, it would have been squash talk i don't know if you remember squash talk ron beck's uh uh sadly i don't but uh no rob used to write all the doubles uh stories oh yeah all doubles stories and (laughs) his writing is amazing no it's incredible (laughs) because i I remember i remember last year thinking how can anybody capture the emotion in this room um and he did it and he did it. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he he captured it. I was like, wow, man. So uh, it was a great night. And we're everlastingly grateful to everybody who participated. The pros, of course, the the players who helped us raise money. Every we had hundreds and hundreds of people who donated. Um, you know, we did we did a really nice raise. Uh, and uh we're eternally, you know, grateful to to everybody who's who supports us and 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 who will continue to support us. Well, Cleva, I'm grateful for having this relationship with with Open Squash. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you uh, today. I think we we covered a lot of ground. We could have covered a lot more, but uh, we can save that for for the next episode. And uh, excellent. Uh, appreciate your time today, sir. Okay, thanks so much, Jerry. Well, that's episode 238 in the books. Cleve Miller, uh, executive director of Open Squash. So much food for thought there. Uh, Check out the Open Squash homepage at www.opensquash.org and you can see where their vision uh, has taken them up until now and uh, all the upcoming initiatives that they're involved in. It's a, it's a good, uh, it's a great homepage. I think they, they have all the, uh, everything that they've done is posted up there. So you can just check it out and maybe take a few things on board uh, or reach out to them. Uh, you can reach out to them on their, uh, there's contact details part of the website. So just reach out to them there if you have any questions or you want to follow up on anything that we've talked about. It's no wonder that the best players in the world, Ali Farag, Gina Kennedy, uh, Victor Quinn, it's no wonder that they want to wear the uh, the Open Squash uh, name on their sleeve at the events. Really impressive stuff that they're doing. Now, um, talking about impressive stuff here on the podcast, uh, we've got episode 239 uh, to follow this one. It's coming up soon. Kareem Darwish. And, uh, you know, I'd never spoken to Kareem before, and I couldn't have been more impressed with him. Uh, We had a great conversation. Obviously, I talked about his playing career because uh, when he reached world number one, there were so many guys out there playing and competing that were, it was so uh, competitive at that time. And uh, we talk about uh, the generation. Uh, his generation that he played in which uh, consisted of so many world number ones including him we also talk about the Wadi Degla Club where he is the I think the the head of squash there I could be I'm not sure of the exact title I will have to listen back to the podcast on that one but uh, 
anyways, he's uh, really, really heavily involved in uh, growing the Wadi Degla Academies, and uh, you'll have to listen to it, but the, the growth has been nothing less than impressive. Uh, growth across Egypt and the Junior Squash Program, he, he told me that he was involved in the Junior Tournament this week with over 900 juniors playing in all divisions. That's to me, unheard of, right? But uh, anyways, uh, we talk about the Wadi Degla and Wadi Degla Club and the growth of squash in Egypt, uh, coaching in Egypt. Also, he's the vice president at the World Squash Federation and they just had their recent uh, AGM and he discussed some of the exciting things that came from that meeting. So we've got a lot, uh, we've got a great one there in episode 239. I hope you enjoy Cleve Miller today and really appreciate uh, everybody for listening. Take care. All the best with your squash, and we'll be talking to you very soon. Goodbye now.